Good morning. We might pray for two people this morning. One is Sheila and the other one is my son Dusty because I think they're both being tempted towards envy. Uh, Dusty has been sitting out down in Nashville looking for deer not finding any except for something with little bumps on his head. Sheila came home with a trophy. <laughs> yeah. Not the way she wanted it though, I'm sure of that much. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. I'll I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. I want to start with acknowledging the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the inability of ourselves to save ourselves. It, it's beyond our capability, and it is actually an offensive thing to the cross to even suggest such a thing. But at the same time, we're going to talk this morning about sacrifice, and we're going to talk about what it means as a Christian to understand how that fits into our life. Does it fit into our life? Can you actually be a believer outside of sacrifice? Because we, you know, we're going to get into, a lot of people are going to have little problems here because they're going to say, well, wait a minute, I thought I was saved by grace through faith. And now you're telling me sacrifice? That sounds like I've got to do something. But we're going to see that there is no contradiction between these terms, but uh, they're, they're one and the same. Now, it's, before we even get to that part and even talking about sacrifice, I, I just want to talk about the modern believer these days. Because I really do believe that the, we're kind of sophisticated these days. It's, at least we think we are. There's several things that we believe in in the scriptures that don't make a whole lot of sense to our unsaved, lost friends. Sorry to say unchurched friends, but you know that's kind of a smoothing it over a little bit. We believe in the God of the universe who created this world. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came here to live. He died, was buried, and resurrected three days later from, as a miracle. And he now has ascended to the heavens. The problem is our unbelieving friends really don't buy all those stories, and sometimes it's uncomfortable to say it that way. But what else is uncomfortable to say as a modern believer, a sophisticated believer? Uncomfortable teachings of the scripture that we might not comprehend or even understand. But we find ways to explain them away. Well, they did it back then, but we just don't do it now. And there are some things where I will agree with you on that, but you have to have some good solid reasons for saying, well, it's just a thing of the culture of that day. Sometimes I think our sophistication is what gets in the way. It just doesn't fit with our pride or anything else. So I put up a couple things here just to, just to chew on. Not going to be the topic of this, this morning's lesson, but just think about it. Why is it that we don't lift our hands up in prayer? Just a comical story. My daughter goes to church in Arkansas, and they're pretty much like us. You know, there's not a whole lot of hands going up in the prayer during prayer. Now, you can go to some congregations, and... They're doing the wave constantly. Well, one woman does what raises her hand in prayer at Stacy's church and kind of does like this. Well, apparently she was sitting behind my granddaughter, Aubrey, 
And so while the woman was doing this in prayer, Aubrey kept looking at her and said, hi, hi. <laughs> but we have this commandment actually from Paul. He says that men in every place should lift up holy hands in prayer. And most of the time when I talk about that, I talk about that the command is more about the holiness than the actual ritual of raising your hands. I'm not sure how, why we explain that away. Or the idea of bowing. You know, we, we have a very odd way of praying to God, and it's, do we dare say it's non-biblical? Let's just say we can't find it in Scripture. You know, this idea of folding your hands, you know, and you've got multiple ways, depending on what religion you're from, standing and bowing your head. They didn't do that. They either lifted their hands to the heavens in prayer, or they went down onto their knees, sometimes all the way down onto their chest and laid prostrate before God in their prayer. Why don't we do these things? Here's another one, that we're, a commandment we have in Scripture. It says, confess your sins to one another. Now that just sounds scary, doesn't it? Yet it's a commandment, and it's one that we don't do. But perhaps one of the greatest oddities of the Scriptures that just doesn't fit in with our modern sophistication is the idea of sacrifice. Now, again, I understand why we don't sacrifice animals like they did in the Old Testament because we're of the new covenant. We're of the grace of Christ. He is the sacrifice for our sins. So nobody brought an animal here, at least I don't think so, prepared to sacrifice and burn on an altar. That's something of the Old Testament. And we understand where it says, all for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. It, only Christ saves us. And if you've read your Bible and you've gotten to the letter of Hebrews, you know only the blood of Christ could save us. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do that. But can you imagine if each one of us, can you imagine if, if for some wild reason, beyond my ability to understand, that the command to have animal sacrifices still continued in 2019? Can you imagine what the animal activists would be doing? They'd have a fit with us, wouldn't they? Uh, the only meat most of us ever get is from the grocery store or we're driving down the highway like Sheila. <laughs> Imagine you bring your sacrifice to the priest and he slaughters it. He slaughters that animal right before you and you brought the best that you owned. What a waste. And matter of fact, with our sophisticated ears. It's kind of offensive. Very unsophisticated. Kind of sounds on the you know, idea of superstitious or medieval. But that's what they did. You know, and they would burn that sacrifice to nothing but ashes. You took the very best that you had and brought it to the priest and he slaughters it there before you, sprinkles the blood on the altar and he burns it to nothing but ashes. That's the idea of Old Testament sacrifice. Now, again, you and I are saved by grace through faith, not by works. You know, it's because of God's great mercy that he has saved us. By grace you have been saved. So the good news for most Christians today is there are no more sacrifices. There are no sacrifices of animals because Christ is the Lamb of God. But at the same time, we kind of have this kind of a gospel that says there's no sacrifice of anything. 
You don't have to do anything to be a Christian unless perhaps you just, out of your own personal choice and desire, want to. Of course, James tells us about people like that. James says that's not really the way it works. He says, you know, you can't say that you have faith without any type of giving, without any kind of a transformation in your life. He says people who say they have faith without works, because there's no such thing. It's impossible. Read the, the whole letter of James and you'll see that time and time again. There is no such thing as a believer who doesn't sacrifice. On the other hand, that seems to be the most popular style of believer we have today. Can you be a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, without any concern for sacrifice? Now, as a boy, we didn't, well, I know we had Sunday school classes for kids, but somehow or other, I kept ending up in the adult class. I don't know if the teacher didn't show up that week or what, but I remember one time a deacon, like, you know, bluntly said, there's no such thing as Christian sacrifice. Because if you did it, you did it because you wanted to do it. So since you wanted to do it, therefore it's not a sacrifice. And if you, you know, if, if you didn't want to do it, you shouldn't have done it because God loves a cheerful giver, right? <laughs> and so you never do anything unless you want it. So therefore there is no sacrifice. And unfortunately, the particular man I'm talking about, there's only a couple people here that know him, but uh, uh, his whole life kind of was as confused as that statement, I guess, in some ways. But sometimes I actually kind of cringe a little bit when we pass the offering plate and, and we make sure people know that they're not compelled to give. I like to make sure the visitors know they're not compelled to give, not the rest of you. If you are a member of the Lord's body, this is your obligation. This is your service to God. Because we just say, well... Do as he's purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not sure the way we interpret that verse is the way Paul intended it to be seen. He, he was trying to encourage you to give more, not less. It's an interesting how we use that scripture to justify giving less. God only loves cheerful givers, and I don't think I could be cheerful with much more than a five. So what does the Bible teach? Or better yet, I'll say, what does the New Testament teach about Christian sacrifice? I really think this is probably the most powerful verse, and this should carry us on for the next couple of weeks, because we're going to be kind of staying with this topic of sacrifice, both of your life and of your means. And this is probably the most powerful verse of all, and, and it sets the stage for what it means to be a Christian. And Romans is just such a powerful letter all in itself, and and Paul has gone and studied all kinds of theology. He's done all kinds of teaching. He's answered all kinds of questions. He's answered questions about Judaism. He's answered questions about the Greeks. He's answered questions about the New Covenant. And he's finally got past all that. He's, he says, okay, now let's get down to what it means to be a Christian. In chapter 12, the first thing out of his mouth is, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect so when you read this verse basically what he is saying to every single person in the city of Rome that's a Christian 
and everyone who ever receives this letter and reads this letter as a Christian is that all of your life belongs to God. All of your being, your will, your desires, all of your goals you lay before the altar of God as a continual living and holy sacrifice. Your spiritual service to God is not limited to once a week for an hour. It's day after day, minute by minute. All that you have is given to God. Over in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, here's a verse, if you read it too quickly, you can kind of water it down, and I tend to do that. Anytime the, the, the Bible kind of challenges me, I try to skip past it a little quicker. Now, if it's going to challenge you, I, I'll sit there for an hour or so and think about it. But when it attacks me, I, you know, you always know what the good, the, the, the big sins are, right? They're the ones that other people do, not the ones that I do. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this for all the Christians. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for as a fragrant aroma. I, kind of, I skim past quickly the part that really digs into the soul. Because we can say this first part, well, walk in love, just as Christ loved you. And you kind of get like a nice warm feeling, you know, you see Jesus, you know, with the children around him, the lamb on his shoulders and whatever else. So walk in love as Christ loved you and walk away. See, yes, it's right. We all just need to love each other more. But he defines it. He takes a closer look at that and he says, how did he love us? What describes this love that we're supposed to have that is equal to the love that Christ had for us? He gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That kind of steps up the level of what it actually means to love somebody, doesn't it? The Christian who does not sacrifice is the Christian who does reject the gospel. And I'm not sure we can use that word Christian, can we? You know, again, we get into this confusion because... We are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't deserve it. And a, a truth, if you thought that you were earning your way and making yourself, you know, like the rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What acts shall I perform in order to get up to heaven and say, God, let me in. I've done what I need. There are none. It's impossible. You would nullify the cross of Christ. Yet there is no such thing as, a, as an unsanctified believer or a, here's another way to say it, lordless saint. There is no such thing as someone who says Jesus is Lord, yet never lives under that lordship. No, yes I will, but no you don't. The contradiction there does not transcend heaven's gates. There are these stumbling blocks of faith sometimes because in our modern, sophisticated society that we were talking about earlier, we have these views of faith. For one thing, d democracy. You know, we, we kind of look at democracy, yes, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure it's in the scripture somewhere. Well, it may be somewhere in the scriptures, it's not in the church. Because Christ is the head. And at the same time, what do we do? 
elders and preachers have to kind of be careful sometimes because members can vote with their feet. Okay, the only problem is Christ voted with his blood. And so sometimes, you know, well, if somebody doesn't like what the preacher's saying, if they don't like what the church is doing, well, I'll just go somewhere else where they promote a little bit more of a comfortable faith and not that sacrificial faith. We can always vote with our feet. Not according to the New Testament I've read. At the same time, we have this duty as Christians. We are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And here's what the purpose is for all of us that are coming together here as brothers and sisters of faith, children of God, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many different ways that we offer sacrifices. Sometimes there's one verse, I didn't actually write this one down, but it's a sacrifice of praise. Your singing was a sacrifice. I not have thought about it that way. It is. Of course, some of you didn't sing. Some of you said, well, I don't sound that good, so I'll just be quiet. Sacrifice of praise. We choose to make that choice to sing. But as you're talking about sacrifices, I'm talking about offerings, there seems to be a word that's absent in Scripture. Maybe I'm making too much out of this, so you can just kind of chew on it and come back and talk about it later if you like. The word I don't find in regard to what we do for God is donate or donations. Oddly, that seems to be one of our favorite words as Christians. Well, I'm going to donate time to the church. I'm going to donate some of my money to the church. Maybe it's just me, but offering in Scripture always talks about sacrifice or sacrificial giving. It's a subtle difference between that and donating. Donating seems to be my choice. You know, I have this thing here, and I choose to be a blessing to you. So here, let me give you a little donation. You might do that this year with the garbage collector. I'll never know exactly how to do that with the garbage collector because he picks it up at 5.30 in the morning and I'm afraid if I tape it to the lid, it'll throw it right in the garbage. But, you know, when you, we, we do that with our waitresses. We give them a tip, a donation for their services. You do that when you pass by the red kettles when you go into the grocery store. You, you give them a donation. Well, churches sometimes... Look at that as, well, it's my choice to give a donation. And churches beg for donations. God, on the other hand, demands sacrifice. Webster's Dictionary. Now, whenever I tell you a dictionary definition, I have an old dictionary. I don't trust the new ones. They change every year. You know, words that used to, that had the same meaning for several hundred years, now only have them for about a week and a half. So I, I go back to the old dictionary. So my old hardbound, hardcover Webster Dictionary defines a donation as a gift or a contribution. So let me give you a gift. And at Christmas, if anybody wants to give me a gift, I'm open. But God looks for a sacrifice. A gift is something you give, not out of your obligation, but out of the goodness of your heart. A sacrifice is what God demands. And I can't force you 
compel you to give your life as a sacrifice. And I don't want to force or compel you to. It has to come from your heart. Not under compulsion, just like when Paul was talking there about the, the monetary donations. But at the same time, I can't compel you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, can I? It's a question we ask for ourselves. And the question is, can you truly be a part of God's kingdom without having a heart of sacrifice? What we offer to God is supposed to be a sacrifice. And we've been studying with, with Les and, and Frank Glover and I have been looking at Malachi for a while. And you want to talk about what it means, the difference between a contribution or offering or a sacrifice and what is acceptable to God or not, go read Malachi. won't take you long to figure that out at all. What we offer to God is a sacrifice, the most prized possession that we possess. And when you offer to God, I like because it's the Old Testament one for your sins was a holocaust. You, it is consumed in the flames. Nothing left. Imagine that you would offer your life as a holocaust. I'm not telling you some literal entering into the flames, but that you sacrifice your life expecting nothing in return. A living sacrifice offered purely because we love our Lord and because he is our Lord. Offering because we cling to that cross with all that we are. It's what it's talking about when it talks about a sacrifice. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to kind of talk about that because we have ministries to God. Some are organized, some are just on your own. Starting to say disorganized, but we won't say that. We have things that we do on a regular basis as a church, and you individually have opportunities that are presented for you individually to do, might not work for me. Do you look at them as a contribution or a sacrifice? where you actually lay your soul before God, a living sacrifice. Each one of us is different. The blessings we possess are different. The abilities that are in our grasp are different. The opportunities that we encounter are different. And the demands that God sets before each one of us, I also think are different. I really do think God sets different demands before us. And to please God, you sacrifice. There's an old sto odd story that uh, maybe you've heard in a sermon or two, but uh, otherwise you probably only heard it when you were plowing through the Bible, especially going through the Old Testament. Trying, each one of us hopefully has read the Old Testament and the New Testament from cover to cover multiple times. If you haven't, today's a good day to start. But as you're plowing along through your Bible and you get through some exciting stories in 1 Samuel... And you finally get to the end of 2 Samuel, and there's a rather odd story. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, David messes up, is what he does. He causes a plague to take place. It's, 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 you know, it's still to this day, I'm not 100% convinced of why. It has something to do with the census and the counting of the soldiers and everything. And thousands, though, are dying because of David's prideful sin. And at one point... It, there's a physical move of this angel as he goes throughout Judea. 
And David actually sees him. Whatever form this angel took place or whatever, this destroyer. And he's by a threshing floor. Floor that will later will be the place where the temple of the Lord is built. The threshing floor is owned by a man named Aruana. And David pleads for mercy on behalf of the people. And David decides he's going to give a sacrifice to God at that threshing floor. So Aruana, he, he wants to be a good guy. He's a good man. He wants to donate the threshing floor, donate the wood, which is actually the wood is going to be the, the yoke made for the oxen. And he will donate the oxen for the sacrifice. And David says something here that I think carries on even to today. David refuses the gift that is offered by Aruana and says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Like I said, we're different. Sacrifices cost. Sacrifices show that we really have chosen to die with Christ and to live for Christ. Too often we have aspects of our life where we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, until it gets uncomfortable. And then we say, no, Lord. I think that's because we have this view of the gospel where we give God our gifts, our contributions, but not our sacrifices. Amazingly, there's all these plain passages on baptism. But so many people say, yes to God, but no to baptism. Okay, that which presents their body as a living sacrifice says yes to God, regardless of what he asks. But all you have to do is read scriptures like Acts 2.38, Mark 16, 15 and 16, Acts 22.16, Romans 6, 1 through 4, 1 Peter 3.21. That's, that's just a short list. And people will say, well, baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. I haven't found the passage for that one. <coughs> Baptism is actually a sacrifice of self. No, you don't earn salvation. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. That's not what we're talking about. We stay with what the scriptures say in Ephesians where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So the question is, what is baptism? Well, baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is, baptism is a response to grace. In baptism, we are told we are clothed with Christ. But Romans chapter 6, that's where you need to think about this morning. Baptism is your funeral. Your death, your burial, and your resurrection. At baptism, you die to yourself you sacrifice your life to God. And when you're raised, you're raised to a newness of God according to his will. Only on the basis of this powerful acknowledgement is Jesus truly Lord of your life. Only then can you embrace the resurrection living. And God calls you to sacrifice. We are not a volunteer army. There is a draft. And God is the one who sent out the letter, I guess you could say. We are his. And he calls us 
by the blood of Christ that forgives our sins. But what separates us from that whole world? For God so loved the whole world. I added that in there. But he God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That the one that believes would not perish. And belief is more than just agreeing with the facts of the story. It's living the story. And God calls you this morning to die and be born again. And for each one of us who has already made that choice of baptism, he calls on us to remember to renew, that you are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Whatever you need, as you come now as we stand and sing. Rock of ages, let for me, let me hold myself in thee, let the waters and the blood from the river inside which flow be.